I'm Monsignor Bill Parent, pastor of St. Elizabeth Church, and you're listening to the St. Elizabeth Church podcast. This episode is one of five talks from our 2022 Lenten series entitled The Radical Call of Laudato Si. Laudato Si is Pope Francis's 2015 encyclical letter on the environment. Here is the final talk of this series, recorded by yours truly, recorded live on Tuesday, April 6th. Please rise for our gospel. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you for again taking the time to hope and pray for the gift of creation tonight. Uh, And thank you as well for having the fortitude and the perseverance to see our series through to its end tonight. Tonight, I I will try to provide something of an overview of the material we've covered in our first for holy hours, and then provide a few thoughts about what this means for us. In the past, when I have given such sem- summaries in a series of holy hours, I, I would do so in kind of a chronologically linear, very clear fashion, but tonight I'm going to jump around a bit, so I hope and pray it's illuminating. Allow, allow me to start with the frustration that I detected, I think I detected, in some of your questions for Professor Hibbs, and also in some of the conversations I've had with a few of you about these talks. What frustration, you ask? Basically, I would call it, what am I supposed to do with this frustration? And there are at least two overlapping versions of this frustration. They're not mutually exclusive, but I think they are distinct. The first is directed primarily inward at an individual level. The frustration here is that our talks, and perhaps even Laudato Si itself, don't seem to have much personal relevance. By 2022, most of us are more or less 
pro-environment. We may and do disagree vehemently about specific environmental public policies, but this is not the Industrial Revolution or even the mid-20th century, not in the United States anyway. We already understand and agree that we need to do more to care for our common home, to use Pope Francis's turn of phrase. None of this really changes my personal spirituality. The second frustration is directed more outward at both an individual and community level. It's directed outward. This frustration is that our talks have not had much practical relevance about the action we might actually take here and now. Laudato Si itself contains many practical recommendations, so why haven't we been more practical in our series? Where are the metrics and decision trees and environmental action that will really make a difference? Now, you, you may already detect that I'm picking up on Deacon Mark's insightful framework, look up, look in, and look out. First look up and behold the wonder of all creation, including humanity created in God's image. Next look in and admit our failures to care for our common home and be transformed by the cross of Christ. Looking, looking in is where we find that elusive spiritual relevance. And finally, look out and take action to help restore our relationships with the environment, with each other, especially the poor, and with God. Looking out is typically where we find that elusive practical relevance. Now, Deacon Mark's framework may have already addressed some of the, what am I supposed to do with this frustration, especially the spiritual richness of his discussion of looking in to be transformed by the cross. If you missed it, or if you heard it once already, I would highly recommend listening to it on our podcast. I've listened to it more than once. Let's try looking in now through the lens of tonight's gospel passage, this passage from John's gospel. This is the first appearance of Jesus to the, the risen Jesus to the apostles. And to understand this appearance, let's return to the beginning of John's gospel that I cited in the first holy hour of this series as the great prologue to John's gospel echoes creation in Genesis in the beginning. And recall that image from the opening book of Genesis that I invited you to hold in your mind 
in that first talk, God's breath hovering over the waters. The Hebrew word, recall, is ruah, which could be translated as wind, as it is in our New American Bibles, or spirit, or breath. And so, here again are those opening lines in Genesis. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form or shape, the darkness over the abyss, with darkness over the abyss, and God's spirit, God's breath, sweeping over the waters. And then tonight, to that image, let's add in the second story of creation that Father Fields cited in his talk. The second story conveys God's image in us poetically. The first story, the days of creation where God's breath was sweeping over the waters, does it explicitly. It says we were made in God's image. The second story of creation is, is more poetic. And what it, it conveys it poetically when God takes the clay of the ground and forms the man out of clay and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And so in this story, we are made in God's image implicitly because God's breath is in us and gives us life. God's breath, God's spirit is prominent central in both stories of creation and Genesis. And in both stories of creation, as Deacon Mark talked, discussed in, his, in the Holy Hour last week, human beings and the rest of creation, all of nature, are ordered to one another in perfect balance. It is our sin that ruptures this balance and ruptures our relationships with each other and ultimately with God. All creation suffers because of the disorder of human sin. And for most of humanity's history, this might seem as as just kind of a poetic way of describing our situation But sometime in the 20th century, we began to realize that we humans have the power to destroy all of it, all of the world that God has entrusted to us. It seems more real than poetic at our point in history. Here, I should note that we Catholics don't interpret these creation stories to be literally word for word true, but we interpret them as myths. That is, as great narratives that convey deep truths about our relationships to God and to creation and to each other. And if if what I've just said is a problem for you, we should talk another time. And it is through the wood of the cross as Deacon March spoke so powerfully last week, that humanity, in the person of Jesus Christ, true God and true man, humanity restores creation. The tree of the garden gives way to the wood of the cross, from which Jesus 
is risen in tonight's gospel. Now listen to the last three lines again, remembering God's breath and creation in Genesis. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. Whose sins you retain are retained. This is the great commissioning in John's Gospel. This is also really Pentecost in John's Gospel. And remember, John's is the great cosmic Gospel that begins with creation and is fulfilled in that odd detail Jesus breathed on them, which we understand through Genesis, that this is God's recreation of our fallen world. And the nature of that recreation is specifically mercy. Mercy through the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostles, and through them, us, are entrusted with Christ's mission of recreating a fallen world, and we do so through mercy. As Professor Hibbs noted in our second Holy Hour, Laudato Si is ultimately about restoring our relationships with God, with the gift of creation, and with each other, especially the poor. And in terms of John's cosmic gospel, this is primarily a mission of mercy. And here, I would note briefly that as a culture, we seem to be failing at this mission spectacularly. We imagine that addressing our environmental problems is a technical problem, that we can master somehow apart from restoring our relationship to God and to each other. And certainly not everyone believes in God, but we do, and we're failing too. We further imagine that we can go on vilifying and even hating anyone who gets in the way of our preferred technological solutions. And, and I would suggest that this is a version of the anthropocentric magical thinking that Professor Hibbs described in reference to Tolkien. Recall, in the modern world, technology replaces magic as closing that space between what I want to what I have. 
technology, which can certainly be a great blessing when we use it to care for God's gift of creation as a gift according to God's will as stewards. It can be a blessing this way, but technology becomes a curse when we use it to dominate the world around us to fulfill our will. And even green technology can become a curse in this sense. We have the hubris to imagine that if we want clean air and clean water and beautiful wilderness, and who doesn't want those things, we have the hubris to imagine we can simply will it via technology without regard for God, without regard for each other. In Laudato Si, as I noted in our first holy hour, Pope Francis states that the role of the church is not to settle scientific questions or to replace politics, but to encourage an honest and open debate. And tonight I was, would observe that, well, how do we do this? We do this primarily through mercy, which I believe implies that we need more public disagreement, not less. So looking up is to receive creation as a gift, and looking in is recognizing our complicity in creation's fall and accepting undeserved mercy through the cross of Christ. And then looking out to take action will bring God's mercy to bear on the world in ways that will indeed involve our science and politics. Allow me to focus on looking out through a personal story about caring for our common home that some of you already know, but most of you don't. And bear with me, it's a a lengthy anecdote. In 2014, when I was pastor of St. Peter's Church in Waldorf, we embarked on a two-year process of analysis and negotiation to install a solar array on our property that would provide in excess of 100% of the annual electricity used by our entire parish, including our school. We, in this context, was primarily our school principal, a retired lieutenant colonel of the Marine Corps, who initiated our negotiations with one of the largest solar panel installers in the mid-Atlantic region. Early in the process, I interviewed a Catholic engineer who had a lot of experience with large institutional solar array installations. He said from the outset that no one installs these arrays because they make sense financially, even after all of the various tax credits and subsidies. He said the real reasons institutions installed these arrays was public relations. 
Later in this process, when we had crunched all of our numbers at St. Peter's, I discovered that he was absolutely correct. After developing some extremely creative financing schemes that would allow us as a nonprofit to take advantage of tax subsidies, we concluded that over the long haul, we might, we might save a little money on electricity. Decades, we're talking. But there were too many variables to be at all certain. At the very least, we were confident that we would not lose money in the process. So we decided to move ahead. And the principal and I completely agreed that good public relations is, is not a bad thing. And we were both excited about all of the educational opportunities an array like this would provide the youth of the parish, the school and the parish as a whole. So we pushed ahead. And frankly, not just for the good PR, but also to help advance sustainable solar energy towards that day when it would be universally affordable. Then came what seemed at the time like a sign from God. Pope Francis published Laudato Si. At this point, we had been working on this extraordinarily complicated project for over a year, and we were positioned to be on the cutting edge of taking the kind of action Francis called for. But as we got ever deeper into the deal, we discovered a couple of troubling questions. First, we learned that the arrangement with the local utility to buy the electricity from our array, and as I understand it, this is a typical arrangement, it would have the effect of driving up the rates of everyone else who does not have solar arrays. Now, I don't want to exaggerate the effect of our little solar farm on the rates of everyone else, but the nagging question at the back of my mind was, who will be most affected by this systemic change in favor of solar energy users? I believe the answer uh, was then and is now the answer is the poor. They are least likely to install solar energy arrays and most affected by rising rates for electricity. Second, and more importantly, was the question of disposing the solar panels at the end of their life cycle. They lose 1% to 2% efficiency every year, and their projected lifespan is roughly 20 to 30 years. I negotiated into our contract, it wasn't there at the outset, but I negotiated into it very extensive obligations where we at St. Peter's would never be responsible for removing the expired panels. So I had eliminated this problem for us, what do you do with them? But I wondered at the time, where do these panels ultimately end up? And do they have any effect on the environment? 
The short answer is into a landfill somewhere, which is not a good thing because solar panels contain small amounts of toxic metals that can leach into the groundwater. I eventually discovered that we have a growing solar panel disposal problem. It's really throughout the world. And once again, this problem will disproportionately affect the poor, especially in developing countries because they are the other great cheap destination after landfills for used up solar panels. Over the past three years or so, this problem of solar panel disposal has begun to get wider attention. For example, in last June, just last June, in the Harvard Business Review, an article entitled The Dark Side of Solar Power called for mandatory recycling of discarded solar panels, stating that the added cost of this mandatory recycling would raise the projected cost of energy over the lifetime of, of solar by four times. That's why they said it, it has to be mandatory. It's not going to happen just from a pure market solution. That means that the real cost of solar energy with recycling for the panels would be 400% higher than our current estimates. At St. Peter's, in the spring of 2016, we had finalized our deal with the installer and also the financial backer who would get the tax credits that would make all of this possible financially. And I was engaged in an uphill internal negotiation with the Archdiocese of Washington, who kept trying to kill the deal because, by their own admission, they did not understand it, despite the fact that we had included archdiocesan representatives in the process from the beginning. The deal died a quiet death when my assignment here was announced the same spring. Here's what I learned through that process and its aftermath. And I think I'm being kind in framing it this way. The metrics we use to evaluate solar energy are at best incomplete. Not incomplete the way every scientific projection or model will make reasonable assumptions and yet still be relatively accurate. Incomplete in the sense that we take extraordinarily complex systems and reduce them to a few easy-to-measure metrics that completely distort our perception of reality. Over the intervening years, I have also learned that this is not just a problem in evaluating solar panels. True life cycle systemic analyses of the environmental impact of not only solar panels, but also reusable shopping bags, 
or ethanol in our gasoline or electric cars, to name just a few examples, these these analyses are typically incomplete and yield distorted views of reality. Now, I realize this is a series of assertions at this point. You may not agree with them. That's fine. There's always another side. Often there are many other sides, and I'm open to being convinced about the efficacy of any green technology, and I hope you're also open. I'm not trying to convince you tonight of any particular conclusion about solar panels other than I hope you understand why I am not tonight going to announce a bold new plan to install a solar array at St. E's anytime. And I have gotten pressure since I've been here to do just that. Also, please don't jump to the conclusion that I'm opposed to solar power. I just want us to tell the whole truth about its cost and environmental impact. And today, We are largely failing to do that. Ultimately, my my hope in these reflections on this personal story is to invite you to consider that the science, the science of taking action to care for our common home is far more complex than we usually acknowledge. I'm sure many of you have already considered this problem, probably at much greater depth than I have. On both ends of our political system, too often we assume that we already know exactly what we should do for the environment and that our real problem, our real problem is to silence and ridicule anyone who disagrees with us. Silence and ridicule replace the hard work of achieving real consensus. Our failure to engage creation's complexity and as a result to become further alienated from each other is, I believe, a surprising recapitulation of the first sin in Genesis. Think about it for a moment. God gave the first man and the first woman a wonderful, complex system, a garden teeming with animals, all in perfect harmony and balance. It is God's gift with order and purpose and meaning with one simple rule. (laughs) Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what happens? We know the story well. What happens in this complex system with all of its wonder and possibilities? Eve becomes fixated on one thing. Much as we in our abuse 
of the environment over centuries or in our environmental reductionism of more recent years as we become fixated on some narrow slice of creation. Just as Eve tries to bend this slice of creation to her will and contrary to God's, so we too try to do the same thing in both our environmental abuses and our reductions. So I believe the radical call of Laudato Si is to bring the mercy of Jesus Christ to bear on our relationships with God and with each other. Christians have always said that. And also to bring that mercy to bear on our relationship with creation, which we have not always said, with a few notable exceptions like St. Francis of Assisi or St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And just as St. Francis in his spirituality tended to personify his relationship with nature, Sister Moon, Brother Sun, Sister Mother Nature, in, as he personified it and spoke of that relation in terms of love, and I believe that's why Pope Francis places St. Francis so prominently in Laudato Si and bases it on very much the writings of Laudato Si. He, he never says that creation is, is another person, has the fullness of a human person, but our relationship with creation is much closer to that kind of love than it is to the cruelty and abuse that has plagued so much of human history. Jesus Christ present at this altar, breathes on us his Holy Spirit so that we may continue his mission of recreating a fallen world. Thank you for praying for this mission tonight.